This podcast is brought to you by GuestLogix, the leading global provider of ancillary-focused merchandising, payment, and business intelligence technology to the airline industry. To learn how GuestLogix can elevate your ancillary revenue potential, visit www.guestlogix.com. While Canada is certainly prone to chilly weather, its airline industry is on a warm streak right now. Both WestJet and Air Canada are delivering double-digit operating margins at the moment. You said warm streak, not hot streak. That's right. That's because while things are good in Canada, they aren't great. Air Canada and WestJet enjoyed healthy 10% and 11% operating margins last quarter. But those numbers are below their U.S. peers and by a pretty wide margin. For example, Delta had a 17% margin. America had a 19% margin. Southwest came in at 23%. Now, granted, U.S. carriers are enjoying a golden age, so that makes this all a bit of a loaded question. But here goes anyway. Why are Canadian carriers doing merely good while their neighbors to the south are setting records? Let's talk about that and all that's working and not working in Canada. Also, Korean Air and Asiana reported earnings, and Finnair is sliding. All that's coming up on this week's edition of the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us in the Airline Weekly Lounge, where we talk about who's making money and sometimes who's losing money in the airline business. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President at Airline Weekly. And I'm Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner at Airline Weekly. Now, again, things are quite good in Canada, but not as great as they are in the U.S. In this week's Airline Weekly, we listed three reasons for that difference. Canada's economy isn't performing as well as America's. Their currency isn't performing as well. The loonie is way down versus the dollar. And lastly, high airport costs. Let's start with the economy. How is the economy affecting Canada's airlines? Well, particularly in Western Canada, Jason, if you think of markets like, oh, Calgary and Edmonton, these are oil markets. I mean, Edmonton's hockey team, after all, is called the Oilers, right? And they're suffering from the same kinds of challenges that a market like, oh, Houston, for example, is in the U.S. The difference is that those markets and and the oil industry in general simply make up a bigger percentage of Canada's overall economy. And so when oil is down, Canada overall suffers a little bit more than the U.S. does. And along with that, low oil prices tend to mean weaker currencies, weaker local currencies for those oil-producing countries. And sure enough, uh, that is something that's happening in Canada. And we've seen in this earnings season around the world, um, weak currencies can be a real headwind, sometimes even wreck a quarter for an airline. How much is the loony weakness affecting Canadian carriers? Well, it is impacting them in an important way. Uh, you know, first of all, most simply, uh, airlines have a lot of their costs denominated in U.S. dollars. You know, they pay for jet fuel in U.S. dollars. They pay for their aircraft in U.S. dollars. That's as true of Canadian carriers as it is of of others around the world. And so, you know, the, the really a lot of cost pressure there. And related to that, and sort of related back to the broader economy, you have Canadians who now have less spending power to go abroad. So, you know, if you're trying to market flights to people who are hopefully going to take a trip down to the U.S., all of a sudden that's more expensive for them. It's going to be more expensive when they get to the U.S. and it's more expensive to buy the tickets. So you're just not going to have the same pricing power among Canadians uh, for outbound travel as those airlines would have had just uh, just a year or two ago. 
and we mentioned high airport costs as a problem. How expensive are these airports? Well, it, it varies, of course. You know, there are U.S. airports as well that are rather pricey, but overall, they're somewhat more expensive. The whole system is set up very differently in Canada, and also just the, the taxes, aside from the airport costs themselves that people pay, particularly when they travel outside the country, are much, much higher. I mean, that's that's one reason why you see uh, U.S. airlines, especially airlines like Spirit and Allegiant, have set up these operations right along the border, just south of Canada, for places like Bellingham and, and uh, oh, Plattsburgh and Niagara Falls. Uh, to lure Canadians across the border, uh, an opportunity for them created by uh, those rather high airport costs in Canada. Both WestJet and Air Canada are growing capacity rather rapidly. 9% for Air Canada, 8% for WestJet year over year. Are they biting off more than they can chew? Well, we'll see. You know, th those are rather high rates. I mean, look, they're, they're certainly growing faster than the economy. And when airlines grow faster than the economy, pretty much any airlines and any economy, uh, it tends to put downward pressure on airfares. Now, of course, even with the currency weakness and even with sort of not being able to enjoy the full benefit of falling fuel prices, uh, make no mistake, these airlines are paying less for jet fuel. And so to some degree, uh, they face the same situation as U.S. airlines, uh, which is that you sort of have this race to the bottom between falling fuel prices. That's the good part for airlines and falling airfares. That, of course, being the bad part. The difference is uh, that, again, because of those currency and economic headwinds in Canada, it, it's a bit of a trickier game to play. Uh, U.S. airlines very clearly so far, you know, falling fuel prices have been winning that race. In Canada, uh, these airlines again doing rather well right now, but a little bit more of a risk that, uh, yeah, that, that, that it's going to flip and you get to a situation where airfares you know, yields are, are, are falling more uh, than those fuel prices. And as we did with U.S. carriers, we are seeing some mild revenue pressure pressures in Canada. Does the Canadian story differ from the U.S. story on revenue? Well, it differs only because you have these giant airlines that are growing more rapidly. I know in the U.S. you have airlines like oh, Spirit uh, growing, oh gosh, 30 uh, percent. So they exist. But the largest U.S. airlines uh, aren't growing at that kind of pace. We're talking you know, more in the mid single digits. And if anything, you've sort of been dialing down that growth a little bit. And now that airfares have been falling, oh gosh, more more rapidly than they really expected them to. Uh, so, uh, you know, from that perspective, certainly just the fact that Canadian carriers are growing more rapidly with an economy that's growing more slowly, that tells you that they have a little bit more risk. The concept is the same, but just more risk in Canada uh, that you'll get some uh, even more significant downward pressure on yields than you've seen in the U.S. so far. And judging by the earnings reports, it sounds like Rouge and Encore are doing well. These are airlines within an airline, and history has not been kind to those. Delta had the failed Song, and United had the failed Ted, for example. Rouge and Encore are both about two years into the game now. What are your thoughts on these two? Yeah, so basically you, you've had uh, uh, these two airlines going in different directions, kind of getting into each other's core business. You have Air Canada starting this low-cost unit, Rouge, and and uh, WestJet, on the other hand, starting a, a, a turboprop unit, Encore, doing the sort of thing that you might expect Air Canada to do. And you're right, Jason, you mentioned Song and Ted. We could mention dozens of others around the world that similarly fail. And so the burden of proof really is on any airline to explain why it thinks this can work, you know, not on the person doubting it, because, I mean, the doubters really have a, a lot of evidence on their side. 
these are different in some key ways. Uh, you know, they're not the same kinds of bets that, well, Delta, for example, made with Song, where it, it basically, in that case, back when Delta was a very high-cost airline before it went bankrupt, uh, you know, tried to compete against low-cost carriers with a what was ostensibly a low-cost unit. But the problem was that it was a low-fare unit. Its costs just weren't all that low. This is different. You know, Rouge uh, for Air Canada really is a lower cost unit, although let's be clear, a lot of the lower costs come simply from higher density of the aircraft, just packing more seats aboard the plane. And, and you don't need a low cost unit to do that. Any airline can do that. And in fact, Air Canada itself has done that increasingly with its mainline fleet. It also has a, a lower labor costs at Rouge and so forth. Uh, it seems to be working okay. Um, you know whether it needed to establish a whole separate brand to do that is is hard to say. Uh, you know with WestJet, I mean, look, it's cognizant of the fact that this is a mature market uh, without unlimited growth opportunities, and so what it's doing there is looking for new revenue growth. And by going into some of those smaller cities where you know you just can't fly a large 737 in multiple times a day, and competing against Air Canada and markets that it had uh, in some cases is either monopolized or nearly monopolized, it's able to tap all kinds of new revenue uh, to feed the rest of its network, especially as WestJet, don't forget it, you know, it's something that's not really a separate unit, but might as well be as WestJet goes long haul. WestJet is uh, dabbling in the low-cost long haul game, another one of those risky games that's rarely worked, but sort of in a very limited way, uh, certainly not betting the company on that. Moving on to Asia. Uh, Korean Air and Asiana reported earnings last week, and it was a rather complicated report. So let's break it down. First, the bad news outweighed the good news as Korean posted a slightly less than break-even figure, and Asiana did a bit worse with a negative 5% operating margin. For both airlines, cargo is struggling. There's been a MERS virus scare, and fuel surcharges have been dropping. Let's start with that. How do fuel surcharges work in Korea compared to other markets? Yeah, it's a good question, and it's an important one. Now, look, in the end, uh, airfares are really determined, total airfares, that is, by supply and demand economics. And so, you know, in the end, there's a demand curve out there, and consumers are going to pay what they're going to pay, you know, whether it's in the form of a surcharge or, or just in the firm, form of base fare. Uh, but in Korea, like Japan, by the way, and a few other markets, but unlike uh, unlike many around the world, it's regulated where as fuel prices go up and down, the airfares automatically adjust. And so the important thing when you're in a situation like this, when fuel prices are dropping, is that what you don't get is that lag time that U.S. airlines especially have enjoyed over the better part of a year now, a lag time where you know fuel prices have fallen, but because other conditions in the marketplace, in the case of the U.S., haven't changed that much, still a strong demand environment and so forth, airlines have kind of had a bumper crop of profits where you know they, they get the low cost but the high revenue and they get to profit from the difference. Uh, in, in a place like Korea, like Japan, the airfares fall rather rapidly. So you don't get that very helpful lag time. Uh, by the way, Jason, this, this cuts both ways. When fuel prices are going up, the same situation is actually very helpful in a place like Korea where airlines rather automatically get to re recoup what they're losing through the higher fuel prices, whereas U.S. airlines, well, we all remember what happened last decade. Uh, several of them ended up in bankruptcy simply because they couldn't uh, get the airfares to keep pace with the rising fuel prices at that time. Okay, and the MERS virus now seems to be behind them. 
Uh, if you take the MERS virus out of the equation, will both airlines rebound? Well, they clearly have other challenges, too. I mean, this, this wasn't all about MERS. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a helpful tailwind to, to get that out of the way. Sort of some, some pent-up demand. You know, people who were wanting to visit Korea and just didn't want to do it while that was going on. But, you know, clearly you're, you're, you're in a, uh, a region with all kinds of other challenges. You know, the questions about China's economy uh, and, uh, you know, uh, cargo issues for airlines that are heavily exposed to that. And those are things that are not going away uh, with the MERS scare. Let's talk about cargo a bit. Both airlines rely on cargo and cargo is struggling right now. How much does that define things? Uh, oh, to quite an important extent. Uh, you know, Korean Air, for example, an airline that roughly a quarter of its revenues come from cargo. Uh, you know, but by comparison, you know, let's say U.S. carriers or, or most of the U.S. carriers, it's uh, if not negligible, certainly uh, you know a single digit percentage. So we're talking about an airline that, like a few others around the world, like Lon, for example, now Latam, uh, cargo is a very big part of the overall picture. So when cargo is struggling, these airlines struggle. And, uh, you know, it, it, these are challenges that I'm not sure are going to go away anytime soon. I mean, look, some of it could be temporary, you know, China's economy could rebound again and so forth. Uh, but some of the issues seem to be a little more structural. I mean, one thing is that for airlines uh, that like Korean Air have had uh, this dedicated fleet of, of freighters uh, flying cargo around the world, Passenger aircraft, Jason, uh, simply have bigger bellies nowadays and can carry more cargo on their own. So what you've gotten is a whole lot of new cargo capacity simply because of the introduction of uh, some of these uh, more cargo-capable passenger aircraft. If you picture, for example, a, oh, a Boeing 777-300ER, it can carry a lot of cargo. And so just a lot of new capacity in the marketplace and uh, you know, not a great demand environment. So uh, certainly you know, you'd hope for their sake they'll turn things around soon. But hard to see a lot of reasons for optimism at the moment when it comes to cargo. You mentioned the 800-pound panda in the room, China. Things are changing in China anyway, and now we're watching China devalue its currency. What does China in general mean to the Korean carriers, and what does its recent economic slowdown mean? Yeah, it's, it's been a huge part of the story for them. Uh, not only because of, of traffic, of course, just between Korea and China, for example, but, you know, Seoul in Sean kind of became the default hub uh, for a lot of traffic between China and points overseas. The U.S., for example, uh, you know, Korean Air, by the way, flies to more U.S. cities uh, than any other carrier in Asia, more than the Japanese carriers, for example. And uh, yeah, that's because it, it's really made a mint over the years carrying people between China and the U.S., well, guess what? You have the slowing economy in China. You also have Chinese airlines that are more and more overflying Seoul, essentially, uh, you know, just flying direct to the U.S. And every one of those new direct flights, nonstop flights between China and the U.S., you know, there's somebody on that flight who would have connected in Seoul in the old days. So uh, a very important story and not necessarily a good one for the Korean carriers. Moving back to Europe, let's look at Finnair. They had a difficult quarter, negative 2% operating margin. They did, yeah. And, and the reason for that is, is that they have really more Asian exposure than just about any other European airline. That, that was a big competitive advantage uh, for, for the past several years while Asia was doing well. You know, the, the geography of Veneer's hub in Helsinki is just spectacular when it comes to carrying people between almost every part of Europe 
and Asia, uh, it, it, aside from the fact that it's simply closer, it, it's it's really the only hub where all you need is one aircraft between Europe and an important market like Tokyo because you can make the whole turn in 24 hours. All of that, a huge advantage, except that now it became a huge liability because Asia, of course, as we've been discussing in other contexts, uh, now a very challenging market. Uh, so, you know, Finnair fortunately does have other things going for it. It's in the joint venture with uh, British Airways, Iberia and American Airlines has flights to Chicago that seem to be going well. It's restructuring its its short haul regional network. And so it's it's uh, it's adapting, uh, but certainly an airline that, yeah, you know, we used to say, hey, it's a one trick pony. At least the one trick is working. Well, now that one trick not working quite as well. And so uh, Finnair does find itself uh, challenged, but certainly not sitting idle and, and, and uh, not addressing the challenges. It's doing what it can. And finally, let's talk about two airlines that would seem to have little in common, but actually have something very important in common. I'm talking about Air Berlin and Jet Airways, two airlines that reported last week. They did. And these are two airlines that are closely linked with Etihad, uh, the Arabian Gulf carrier, of course, based in Abu Dhabi. It, it sort of has its its uh, family of airlines where it's invested and uh, exercises some degree of control, depending on the airline. Uh, and so, yeah, th these are airlines that are, uh, let's be clear, uh, in some cases, probably only alive Thanks to Etihad, uh, you know, Air Berlin is you know, has negative equity. I mean, it's basically an airline that would otherwise be insolvent. Uh, Jet Airways in a very troubled India market, uh, and so you know, it came and it rescued them. Uh, certainly competitors weren't amused by that because they feel like these are airlines that shouldn't exist if not for that. But they're there. And what happens is because you have this investor that's not uh, you know, just a financial investor, but also a strategic investor trying to pipe traffic into its own Abu Dhabi hub, the airlines can't always just do what they need to do uh, to earn returns in their own right. Uh, you know, Jet Airways uh, you know, ends up flying some people into Abu Dhabi to connect to points elsewhere, people who might otherwise, for example, uh, connect using its Indian hubs. And so, uh, you know, they're struggling. Uh, Jet Airways seems to have perhaps turned the corner, uh, air traffic in India growing very rapidly, uh, capacity growing even uh, more rapidly. But uh India, at least, not suffering to, from the uh, same currency uh, woes, for example, as some other parts of the world. The rupees held up reasonably well. And so Jet Airways did manage to put up a positive operating margin, albeit not a world-beating one at 3%. Air Berlin uh, lost money again. And when you lose money in the second quarter, which is the, the second strongest quarter for a European airline behind only this current third quarter, uh, yeah, it doesn't bode well in terms of trying to break even for the full year. Seth, thanks for that. One bit of housekeeping before we go. Airline Weekly is on its annual sabbatical as the staff enjoys a little R&R. &R. But we'll be back with our next podcast, September 9th. Until then, the Airline Weekly Lounge is closed. Thanks for being here. You looking forward to vacation? Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. Well, actually, I'll probably, I'll probably just work. 